0: This week on Erotic Awakening, Cult of Aphrodite.
1: Welcome to Erotic Awakening with Dan and Dawn, a weekly view of all things erotic. From BDSM to erotic spirituality, from swinging as a lifestyle to simply fun kink, each week we bring you a diverse offering of erotic and alternative lifestyles in its many forms. This podcast includes frank discussions of highly sexual topics.
0: This podcast is intended for consenting adults over the age of 18. If you are
1: offended by this type of content, we recommend you stop listening right now.
2: Hi Dawn. Hi Dan. We don't
0: have a whole lot to talk about prior to getting into our topic. We really don't. So, I, but, but that's actually pretty good because our topic is a pretty interesting one. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Lorelai, who's the author of Cult of Aphrodite and who is a priestess of Aphrodite. And as a sacred sexuality practitioner, she led us to a lot of really interesting things that she does in her life.
2: So indeed, I mean, it, it's just very interesting how she puts all this together and lives her life as a priestess.
0: So we'll get through this opening banter pretty quickly, and then we'll talk a little bit about sacred sexuality, and then hear some perspective of sacred sexuality from our priestess of Aphrodite. Excellent. Before we get there, though, we do have a little bit of business to talk about. One Mm -hmm. of the things that uh, interesting and exciting is the brand new part of the podcast. Okay. Well, one of the things that I've noticed is that we get a lot of positive feedback for the question and answers part, podcast that we do. We do. I was surprised. So what I'm going to do is add to our podcast, we're, we're going to at least include one question every podcast. Ooh, I like that. So we'll play question and answer, at least with one little question every podcast as we go along. And that should be a little bit of fun. Okay. I like it. We just finished a MS chat just a few days ago. We did. Along with the sacred sexuality you and I participate in, we also participate in a fair amount of master-slave dynamic type stuff. Yes. And the MS Chat that we happen to host here at our home, we
2: had... 10, 13? Yeah, something like that. 10, 13 dozen? It's hard to count because some are in chairs and some are on the floor.
0: That's true. <laughs> and we sat around and talked about master-slave power exchange relationship topics. Mm-hmm. Had uh, one person that was their first thing ever and had a bunch of other people who had a variety of experience and time under their belts.
2: Right. The only requirement is that you live the MS lifestyle. Or you are you interested in living it or finding out more?
0: And the only other news that we've got going on recently, I do want to mention, you mm-hmm. know, at the point that I'm publishing this podcast, it's one day late. Happy birthday! Oh, thank you. It was just your birthday yesterday.
2: Yes. And it's,
0: I, and what kind of sexy toy did you get? What kind of sexy toy did I get? My bike. Uh, you're the bike. I don't know. Or the
2: Super Mario Brother game.
0: <laughs> Neither one. A particularly erotic birthday gift.
2: No, but I bet we woke the neighbors before we went to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> That was sexy and erotic. <laughs>
0: Were you under the impression that gift was for you? Oh well. I... It was your birthday, but my candle got blown out. <laughs> oh,
2: <that was laughs> but horrible. but guess what I got in the mail. What? Look what I got in the mail. Oh yes, uh, as people
0: who have listened to our podcast for a while, may have known uh, we are members of Recovery in the Lifestyle, and that is a organization that supports people that are active in a kink or alternative lifestyle, Mm -hmm. as well as in recovery programs like 12-step programs, Alcoholics Anonymous, or my favorite, Narcotics
2: Anonymous. (laughs) So, And we just got our patches in. We did, and those are going to look very good
0: on our house meta vest. Yes. So we'll find someone to sew those on there. Mm -hmm. And you can find Recovery in the Lifestyle either from the link on our webpage, Erotic Awakening, or you can probably head over to the FetLife group called Recovery in the Lifestyle, Or you could go to recoveryinthelifestyle.org.
2: I believe that's correct. That's a lot of
0: Lincoln. (laughs) We uh, have a little bit of event news coming up. First off, uh, tickets went on sale for the Central Ohio Perversion Excursion that's going to be held in Columbus, Ohio in September.
2: Right, and they just went on sale a couple of days ago. It was
0: funny that at the MS Chat... We uh, spoke to somebody who said, uh, you know, we made the comment, oh, I think tickets are on sale. And they said, yeah, we were buying those tickets two minutes after they
2: went on sale. Indeed. Well, they usually sell out, and they sell out fast. Oh, yeah. This
0: one will abs- absolutely sell out. We'll be doing the Scarlet Sanctuary there again this year. And if you're interested if you're in going, you got to buy tickets right now. Don't mm-hmm. don't dick around and wait for the last minute. Uh, Barrick tells a story after story of people that wait and wait and wait. You know, and, and then a month before the event, they're like begging to get tickets. And it's like, you know, should have bought tickets when you had the chance, brother. That's right. Another event that I want to tell people about real quick is one that uh, we haven't been to before, but pretty interesting signing event. This, this one sounds awesome. <laughs> this one's called Tease, and it's an annual pansexual kink outdoor Canadian alternative lifestyle education camping
2: convention. It is a mouthful, but it sounds like a lot of fun.
0: I'm just going through the, uh, the different stuff that they're doing. 24 workshops, hand-on demos, pony events, puppy-kitty events, hot tubs. Hot tubs and a BDSM event, by the way.
2: A just... BDSM camping event, even.
0: Oh, drumming
2: circles, that's the one I'm going to miss. Uh-huh. Not... 15 Tall Wicker Man, that's something Ooh. a little bit different. I like, I like this one, the nude pagan fire dance. Yeah. Very cool.
0: <laughs> And you know, I actually was listening to a dark angel talk about this, um, and this is a, a pretty big deal. As a matter of fact, you would probably be best off just heading over to www.get-teased.ca to get everything that's going on here because the list of things that we have going on will take another five minutes to keep going through
2: absolutely they've got so much stuff listed i mean if you're interested in anything they've pretty much got it covered
0: yep and it is the it is canada's largest canadian camping convention nice we need to go to canada we absolutely do we We got the passports take the show international there you go
1: Erotic Awakening is sponsored in part by Adventures in Sexuality, Central Ohio's kinky fun group. Find out more at adventuresinsexuality.org.
0: So Don, the new section of the podcast today is question of the day. Uh-oh, what's the question? And the question of the day today is, should a slave or submissive, and it's an MS question, as you can see at this point. Yeah, I guessed. Should a slave or submissive be required or forced to give up hobbies that they have as they come into the relationship
2: hobbies wow i've been asked the religion one before and i've been asked the possession one before but hobbies mm-hmm. um wow part of me's like no because that's part of the person's personality but i guess it would depend on what it is I mean, I can see instances where maybe the hobby costs too much money, and he wants control, or the dummy wants control of the finances. You know, maybe the hobby isn't really healthy. Maybe I, you know, I can put in all kinds of caveats. So let's look
0: at some of the hobbies that you've had. Oh no!
2: <laughs> and let's see
0: if, if, in a healthy MS relationship, maybe I would say you need to stop doing that, or you need to do more of that, or or whatever. Right? Mm-hmm. World of Warcraft.
2: Oh no, we get to keep that. No, we get to keep that <laughs> okay, one. Okay, but...
0: okay. Let's be clear. We're not negotiating here. Okay. Is it a? Is that a hobby that you could see a someone bringing into an MS relationship and it not being healthy? Yes. Yeah.
2: Even sure. though I, I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So and and we've played that one. We're kind of geeky, so we played that for a while, and then it was getting to where it was taking up a lot of our time, and we had other projects to do. So we quit. That whole recovery and the lifestyle thing,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and we know other people that do a variety of other online games, mm-hmm. online interactions. That uh, it's not necessarily by default to me. You bring it in as a hobby, but you know, depending on the MS relationship, how right. does it serve your power exchange relationship? Exactly. Right? How about something like, oh, skydiving? <sighs>
2: Oh, wow. See, that one's a hard one, too. So, because I can't think of any reason that that would be taken away from a slave.
0: It's expensive and And it's dangerous.
2: Well, that is true. But some slaves like danger. So, but yes, I think it could be taken off the board. I think it could be taken away.
0: Well, let's, let's take it a step further, then. Okay. How about in this MS relationship? That take away all your hobbies. You're not here to have hobbies. You're here to serve master or mistress.
2: For me, coming from a loving relationship, that's kind of harsh. But I can see where it would benefit the relationship if that's the type of relationship they wanted.
0: You know, this, to me, would be a great question to ask someone as you're approaching an MS relationship. Mm-hmm. If you're a submissive or a slave and you're starting to negotiate to be in a power exchange relationship, what a great question to ask that top or dominant or master and say, you know, I've got some hobbies. What Are you going to require me to take them away? Are you going to require me to cut down on them? Or are you going to ignore them completely? Right. Tell you a lot about what kind of relationship you're looking for because... Mm-hmm. If one of your relate, you know, one of your hobbies is to spend four hours a day on Second Life, and Ouch. they respond by saying, you know, as long as you're still doing the twelve things I want you to do in a day, and mm-hmm. when I get home, your naked slave girl on the floor, you feel free to do whatever you want. Or they might say, Second Life, what's that? I, I have no value in that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the sad part is the master that responds or the mistress that responds by saying, oh, you can keep doing your hobby in this example, Second Life, but recruit people for me. Bring more people into our little tribe.
2: Right, right. Yeah, that's, that wouldn't be kosher at all. So. It really is then taking a
0: hobby and perverting it to... Right. See, it gets tricky though, right? It does. I mean, we're not in charge of telling everybody what the right, wrong things for master slaves to do.
2: I know. That's why it's hard to give a definitive answer on that, too. You know, I know it works for us. And I mean, there's been hobbies I've had that you just looked at me and and let me try them and then said, no, not so much, mm-hmm. you know, or just let me try it out to see if it's something I'd like to do. And Then help me out when I find out it's not something I want to do.
0: (laughs) One of the interesting things about a power exchange relationship is it can lead to a lot of growth. Mm -hmm. And by allowing you to spread your wings on some of these hobbies, that even though they don't necessarily always work out. For example... The one that comes to my mind is you wanted to be a leather worker, right?
2: I wanted to try being a leather worker. I knew it might not work out. And it didn't. It didn't. Um, yeah, I've got some leather supplies. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody wants them?
0: You know, but on the on the other hand, if, you know, if I was the person on the, the lower rung, on the bottom, on the, the slave or the submissive in a mm-hmm. relationship, and you're my mistress, and you said, podcasting, how's that going to benefit me? Right. And I said, okay. You know, I mean, I've gotten a lot of joy out of this. Absolutely. And I, I, let's be honest, I've spent a hell of a lot more on podcasts <laughs> yeah. than you have on leather.
2: That's true. So, and But one of the growth things was um, I kept thinking, oh, I'd be so great at a guitar. I'd be so great as a, at a guitar. You know, I like to read music. I like music. I've always wanted to play since I was little. And I went out and bought a guitar not super expensive, but that was a whole experience itself was learning how to buy the guitar and then finding the lessons and then taking the lessons and then playing a little Ozzy Osbourne rift and then realizing, Hmm, not so much. So, and then I got to sell the guitar.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If you like the question of the day, part of the show and would like to ask your own question, Or you'd like to contact us for any goddamn reason whatsoever.
2: (laughs) You can find us or email us at dananddawn at eroticawakening.com.
0: Or you can use the Got Contact form on our website, Erotic Awakening.
2: We can be found on Facebook under the group Erotic Awakening. All one word. All one word. So, and like I said... Only the cool people call us, and we actually got a voicemail recently. And
0: the voicemail said, hey, give me a call back. And we did. And we had a wonderful
2: chat with somebody for 20 minutes. We did, just last night. So, And that voicemail number is 206-309-0054. On FitLife, we have a
0: group called Erotic Awakening.
2: And we have Twitter, Dan and Dawn.
0: So, Don, not too long ago, we did a, one of our shows that involved sacred sexuality, and someone wrote me an email, via VFF mm-hmm. Life, and they said, So, Dan, tell me, what is sacred sexuality? And I responded by saying, Well, I'll get back to you. <laughs> exactly. So what is sacred sexuality?
2: You know, it's, it's one of those things that you have to define for yourself, I guess. I mean, we um, try to describe it in a couple of our workshops, You know, it can be, um, you know, it's like seeing sexuality as a gift and as something to enjoy and as a way of connecting to other people and as a way of seeing the divine in other people. I mean, I love making eye contact with someone and seeing the god or goddess within them and then, you know, just with sacred touch, Allowing them to feel that they are god or goddess. That's one way.
0: Very neat. I've noticed that a lot of times when people think of sacred sexuality, they think it's all woo-woo. They think Mm -hmm. it's all... And and a lot of our friends and a lot of our fellow practitioners on the Kiddishji path do indeed view it as a a woo-woo sort of thing. Yes. With the, the idea of divine... Inspiration Mm -hmm. and things outside of the normal experience.
2: And even using sex for sex magic. So, I mean, that's a woo woo way of of seeing sacred sexuality as well. Mm
0: -hmm. But a lot of people will find sacred sexuality in just the way that two people interact. Yes. Or, well, okay, two or more people. (laughs) Two or more. (laughs) But that's something that involves some. Greek goddess, for example, right. or some exterior force, but a communication method between two people or mm-hmm. three people. We have always said, and you know, one of my favorite quotes is that when sexuality is used for harm, it's incredibly harmful. Yes. And when sexuality is used for healing, mm-hmm. it has great potential to be very healing. One of the things we do at the Scarlet Sanctuary, which is where we just... it's so hard to describe that all we're doing is sacred touch and sensual touch. And, you know, it's not like we're putting our dicks in anybody Mm -mm. or we're not orally stimulating anyone's naughty bits. But to explain to people what it is that makes it sacred sexuality and the response that people get from it, you know. You've had people respond by laughing, by crying, Mm -hmm. by falling asleep... By becoming very orgasmic. Uh,
2: yes. Not too long
0: ago. <laughs> Not too long ago. I seem to recall that you were a bit of a snake charmer.
2: Yes. You <laughs> didn't actually touch the snake, but it danced for it you. It danced for me. That was amazing.
0: <laughs> so it's really interesting to look at sacred sexuality as a as a practice. And, and, you know, for you and I, sometimes we practice sacred sexuality between you and I. Yes. And sometimes we just fuck. And it doesn't say that one's better than the other or, or one's, you know, re, you know, we should always practice sacred sexuality we should always make it some kind of divine super juiced uh call down the god and goddess and light candle sort of thing but that is appropriate sometimes
2: indeed so though you know when we are together we are it's just the way we work i mean we still see each other as god and goddess even though well i do say oh god a lot but i guess that's beside (laughs) the point (laughs) sorry
0: (laughs) That's an easy one. I don't know how to <laughs> that bump. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I think
0: a lot of it has to do with intent. Yes. And that's the thing that's always been important to me. What is your intent? And they say that a woman around a male tantrika, mm-hmm. somebody who's really devoted to the path of Tantra, is one of the safest women in the world. Because a male tantrika, a male sacred sexuality practitioner, understands the beauty and impact of sexuality and they're not going to try and get in your skirt you know just to prove oh I can last four hours and-
2: right right and with the male tantrikas, we know I would absolutely agree with that so absolutely agree so they- I, know,
0: I know for myself I, I consider sacred Sexuality and all sexuality, actually, in my mm-hmm. life, to be such a big deal that I don't take it lightly. I don't engage lightly in sexuality. And this is why we're such rotten
2: swingers. Exactly. I was you thinking know? the same thing. So even my field research that I did at the swing club, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, of course, I'm sure everybody's got fantasies, you know? Go to the swing club, you know, just have a good time. Fuck, fuck, fuck. And, but when you get to where... Um, it, It means something a lot deeper and spiritual and divine. Hmm. It's a little harder to make those connections when uh, the other person's in it for the sport. I'm not sure if those are the right words. And I would really love to get a swinger on here. And the one I contacted for my field research, (laughs) I would love to get him on here. Well, you
0: know that. Oh, yeah, I'll be on your podcast. Uh huh. Although we don't have any swingers on here right now. We do have a priestess. Yes. Lorelai is a priestess of Aphrodite, a sacred sexuality priestess. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's actually shared some really interesting concepts with us.
2: That she did.
1: All right. Today we are here with Lorelai, author of Cult of Aphrodite. So Lorelai considers herself a priestess of Aphrodite. Um, Would you mind explaining a little bit about that, Lorelai? Sure.
3: Sure. Actually, my, my first involvement with um, Aphrodite's priestesshood was um, at, when I was still involved very heavily in a witchcraft tradition that was based out in California. Um, and its roots were very, um, well, sort of mixed and eclectic, the way many witchcraft traditions are. But um, uh, we had a very heavily 1734 Wicca um, influence, if you're familiar with the writings of um, Ray Bower's Roy bowers I'm sorry uh, Robert Cochrane
1: mm-hmm.
3: um that was really where the where the platform of our tradition was um and at second degree, if you were on the path to priesthood, which I was um you were dedicated to a particular god or goddess, and there were two goddesses to whom to whom I was dedicated, and that was Aphrodite and Breed. um and and really from there Aphrodite sort of took hold in my life and said I've got a lot of work for you to do <laughs> and I've done my best to um to to do the work that I thought was at hand um and it really kind of started for me um a, a lot of my a lot of my priestesshood has actually been focused on writing um, and making materials available to other people who see themselves as priestesses or priests or devotees of Aphrodite, because there really hasn't been a lot available on the market um, for for people such as us. So, um, I've tried to make some make some writings available so that people don't feel as alone in the world and have you know um, something to go on. And there's been quite a quite a bit of community that's gotten stirred up here in the last. Um, last couple of years based on that actually. Um so,
1: well, that we you, let's see we met you two thousand and four, two thousand and five six at, the yep, 2006 at, Fest. at the Fest? Yep, two thousand six at Kiddush Fest too. So how long have you been a priestess of Aphrodite? At least that long.
3: Yeah. Um actually since um I've considered I've Fully considered myself a priestess of Aphrodite since since my um, second degree initiation back in California, which was in 2002. Okay. Or 2001. One. I think it was 2002. 2002.
4: Um, uh, my understanding of Aphrodite from my Greek mythology. If I well, actually, okay, I just Googled it to be honest. But <laughs> you
1: know,
4: the the uh, Greek goddess of love, beauty, and sexuality. So it's yes, the practice of sexuality.
3: Yes I do actually. Um and a lot of that's determined for me based on you know where I am currently and um you know the sort of um you know the the roles and rules of um of the relationship that I'm in, you know what I've chosen for myself in those terms. But um and so there've been times when I've been, you know, very fully engaging in um in sacred sexual practices um you know really without limit to myself um and other times where um, I've, uh, participated in sacred touch ceremonies, um, um, and, uh, similar types of workings where, where I say, here are my boundaries, but we're still going to engage in this, um, you know, this holy sexual encounter. Um, just, that doesn't always include actual intercourse.
4: And, and listeners to our podcast hopefully have gotten that idea from now that, um, Sexuality and sensuality doesn't necessarily mean putting tab A into tab B all the right. time. Right,
3: absolutely not, absolutely not.
4: Now, you also happen to, if I remember correctly, uh, share a a um, title with us or a, a category with us as recognizing yourself as a kadishtu. Yes. Uh, how does that interact with your being a priestess of, sexu- of Aphrodite? Is that conflict? Does it uh, fit right with it?
3: That's right with it, actually. Um, in Aphrodite's temples, I mean, some of the temples were very, um, uh, like most temples in ancient Greece, where they were simply um, an edifice or a house for the god, and, and you led rituals in or around that space or, you know, in their sacred grove. And a priestess of Aphrodite wasn't necessarily a person always who lived her life in service to Aphrodite um, In ancient, by ancient standards. Um, they led the rite. You know, they led the ritual that was at hand, and then went back to the, her daily life. Um, but there were some temples where there were sacred um, prostitutes that were there en masse. Really, um, there were a thousand or more in Corinth, um, which is currently what's considered the the largest in the in the Greek world. Um, there was a whole city that was dedicated to Aphrodite in um, in the country that we now come to call Turkey um um and so there were um in places where aphrodite's worship was really ancient um you know the places where she was first said to be worshipped in greece almost all of those cult centers had um sacred prostitutes that did her work Um, and it was a way to connect with the goddess very really and very physically um by by engaging in sexual intercourse with one of her priestesses and so really my work as a Kaddishdu fits right hand in hand with my work as a priestess of Aphrodite. They go together really nicely.
1: Nice. So um in your book, Lorelai, I was reading that you consider yourself a contemporary priestess of Aphrodite. So um does that mean that you are not trying to reconstruct ancient ritual or? Um, I think if anything
3: it means that I'm not slavish to ancient ritual. Um I I I do I have more in the last year or two engaged in, in more reconstruction-type practices, but I'm not—you know—I'm I'm a member of the contemporary world. I, I've, um, you know, been raised um, in this time, in this place, and so um, I think that it's important for us to take, you know, that that wisdom set, that that insight and put it into our work and not just do it as the ancients did. So I have reconstructed like The Cult of Aphrodite um is a book that's solely really about ritual, um, in in honor of Aphrodite. And so some of those rituals are very much based on what I could find of ancient practice and, and I did, you know, lots used lots of reconstructionist methodology in, in recreating those rituals. Others, however, are very are very, very modern. Um and, you know, I'm honest about that. I think that that's the key the key thing there is to say, hey, this isn't based on anything ancient, but it's a darn good right. idea.
1: Right. So I I noticed that with uh, the design of the book, with the way you laid it out, uh, that you did have those warnings in there and your yeah. the terminology and history and how you got on this path. And I was really impressed with the rituals, the actual rituals from beginning to end.
3: Thank you that, so much. Yeah, that's thank, really you, thank you,
1: thank <laughs> you. So um, what does, what's, what's, a, what's a day-to-day mean to you? And I, I
4: understand from a high level what it means to be a priestess of Aphrodite now, mm-hmm. but what's it mean in your daily life? What kind of things do you do that, if I want, if Solomon became a priestess of Aphrodite, how would she be different?
3: Um, my, my experience, of course, is that uh, priestesses and priests of Aphrodite, you know, as with any other kind of priest or priestess, have their own sort of way of doing things. So I, I can really only speak to what I do. Dawn might do it entirely differently if she was, <laughs> if she was on this particular path, if she was doing it. But for me, um, I, I do, according to ancient custom, make offerings to Aphrodite very regularly, at least once a week, every Friday, um, which is a day that's very special to her. Um, I make. Um, a, a big offering, but I, I tend to light incense for her and and give her little things all throughout the week. Um, you know there there are quotes in in ancient Greek all about um, you know may Aphrodite inflame our hearts with love for her, and these kinds of things. And I really sort of feel like I'm in that place. I'm just absolutely in love with this particular goddess, and so I think about her a lot and do things very literally for her quite a lot too. Um, I write a lot of poetry um, for her. Um, I paint sometimes for her, which I'm not nearly as good at <laughs> as writing, but I enjoy it, and sometimes I make pretty things for her. Um, I, what about the sexy part? What's the what about what? The
1: sexy part. The sexy part, yeah. Well, the sexy part. And, well, and there
3: there are so many there are so many aspects to that because I try to just I try, and of course I'm human, so I fail sometimes, but I fail, I fail a lot more than I'd like to admit. Um, but I, I, I try to be a very loving person and, and kind. Um, my nature is not necessarily, my nature is loving and kind, right? But sometimes I'm also a little sharp around the edges and I attribute that maybe to Aphrodite's warlike qualities.
1: <laughs>
3: she was a battle goddess too. But as far as the sexy part, yeah, she, she definitely influences, um, she definitely influences me in that way as well, uh. I am very conscious of her touch in my life. Um, Every time I engage with one or the other of my partners, I'm in a polytriad, so I'm very fortunate to have um, both uh, a committed female lover and a committed male lover, and we all live together. Um, And so anytime I'm with either of them, I'm always very aware of Aphrodite being there and inspiring me and guiding me um and and just sort of blessing the love and the sexuality that we share um,
1: so yeah. now i did see in the back of the book where you talk about the dark side yeah. and the dark arts and the eroticism of BDSM and using yeah. that in being a priestess of Aphrodite did i did i read that right
3: yes absolutely
1: um oh. and
3: uh, again, I don't think it's necessarily aren't necessarily tools that a priestess must use, um, right. but I think that they're legitimate and valid, and and they're definitely um, they're definitely there as, as ways of accessing and understanding her and and what she offers. Um, Aphrodite has a lot of epithets that have to do with her warlike nature. Um, in the oldest places, again, where she was worshipped, there were the cult of prostitution, and there were also always um images of Aphrodite with weapons in those places. She was always an armed goddess too um and I think that that has to do with the fact that um her her predecessors in the middle east um Ishtar and astarte and Anana are 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 goddesses of love and war
1: right. and so
3: there's there's definitely and if you look at those myths, those goddesses are a lot harsher than Aphrodite is shown as being. She's she's a much kinder, gentler goddess in, in Greek myth. Although not always, because if you look at, at some of those things that she's said to have done, she's she can be very vengeful if you cross her. Um and if you really and in crossing her I mean by um, um neglecting her gifts, specifically of, of love and of sexuality, if you if you refuse those without good reason, um she tends to make bad things happen for you um, and so um,
1: it sounds like um it sounds like when you work with Aphrodite, and I'm always curious about this with different practitioners mm-hmm. um it sounds like with the way you're talking about her that you see her as a goddess, not as an archetype, yes, absolutely okay. and that, that is one of the reasons why um it's been
3: easier for me i think to to sort of go toward um actual Hellenic Greek um religious practices is because i absolutely absolutely see these goddesses and gods as distinct individual beings and not necessarily as um um as archetypes i i can value the archetype and i think that the archetype is something worth studying um mm-hmm. for understanding it gives you a, a much richer deeper understanding of of the gods and goddesses with whom you work but i, I do see them as individual beings no.
4: One of the most common questions that uh, Dawn and I get when we do the Scarlet Sanctuary at one of the events that we'll do it at, or any kind of sacred sexuality practice is people will come up and say, oh, my gosh, this is exactly what I've been looking for in my life. This is a homecoming for me. Yeah. How do I, What do I do from here? How do I get started? And, one of the, you know, it's been one of the things that we have to lead them to is to say, well, you can get started. If you live in certain areas, mm-hmm. there's, few things that we're aware of, but when somebody comes to you and says, oh, this is such a homecoming for me, this idea of serving Aphrodite, what's my next step?
3: Um, it, that's been a difficult one, because really, um, there aren't a lot of materials that are necessarily available, and there aren't a lot of people who have taken up the mantle of teaching. Um, I think right now, my my own writing has sort of served in that capacity more than I really intended it to yet um you know i was just making materials available for people to do the do not necessarily learn the do <laughs> um mm-hmm. but but there is a, a bit to be said about learning by doing um you know that's a perfectly valid and good way to learn and a lot of fun because the mistakes are even still really good so um, <laughs> but um th- there really haven't been a lot of um a lot of places to learn within this path. I've been working, that's actually been one of my, my recent projects is that I've been working on putting some things together, you know, sort of a, um, not just a recommended reading list, but I, I've pulled together some reading resources and some, even some YouTube videos. And I've been starting to make, um, some audio files to, you know, maybe make up my own podcast along the same lines as sort of, um, a like which is the, the Greek version of Lyceum, um, you know, as as sort of a a place of learning about how to do this or um, what kinds of things one ought to at least consider.
4: Very cool. Very cool. One more question for you, if you don't mind. I I heard something about something called a Babylon Rising.
3: Absolutely. Um, Yeah, that's coming up here in about, uh, well, it'll be the festival runs from... June 10th through the 13th, um, and it happens out in French Lake, Indiana. And, yeah, Babylon Rising, um, I attended for the first time two years ago presenting um, as a priestess of Aphrodite, and I um, just fell in love with the festival um, and also happened to fall in love with two of the organizers. So <laughs> um, I was able to, to, to lend my assistance and, and help really build up their um sacred sexuality and sex magic offerings because I happen to know some really cool people in this business like uh, you guys. <laughs> um, so there's a whole track that's dedicated like um, just to nothing but sacred sex and sex magic. Um, and so we've got, um, you know, some very theoretical kinds of things happening out there and some very hands-on. We've got rituals um and then and that's not even really including the entire just purely magic side of it. Um, which is expensive. <laughs> there are um magical practitioners from all over the world that come to present at this festival. Um, so it's it's a really exciting opportunity. And it's actually so far it's been one of the first places. Um this year we've got Mike and Lisa Manor from Cincinnati coming out, um, from the Khadishti Institute slash Temple of Venus Aracena, and we've got David Nemandatori, um, and I think six other priestess, priestesses and priests from Temple Terra Incognita coming to lead presentations. Plus myself, um, plus Magdalene Morris who lives in Cincinnati and runs the Babylon Finishing School. Um, so we've got uh, you know, quite an interesting lineup of sacred sex and sex magic presenters. All under this, all on this one field together.
4: Very cool.
3: How cool. can people uh,
4: find out more about Babylon Rising, and how can they find out more about you?
3: Well, they can find out more about Babylon Rising at um, BabylonRising.org, and we spell Babylon B-A-B-A-L-O-N. Um, so BabylonRising.org is the place to find out more about the festival. And for myself, they can go to AphroditePriestess.com.
4: And can we find your book there?
3: Yes, absolutely. Um, in fact, um my two non fiction books, there's a book of poetry and there's a novel actually that all relates to Aphrodite's service available okay. on that site.
4: Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you very much for um spending a little time with us. I'm sure that with the event <laughs> being this close you're pretty busy. So
1: to uh, yeah.
4: <laughs> spend a little bit of time with us today learning more about the cult of Aphrodite and about yourself
3: well thank you so much for having me I really appreciate it it's been great
2: coming up next week questions and answers get those questions in part three (laughs) bye Don. bye Dan
3: Sarah Sloan appears on Erotic Awakening courtesy of Love You Parties. Find out more about Love You Parties and Sarah Sloan at www.sarahsloane.net.
1: Erotic Awakening is sponsored in part by Adventures in Sexuality, Central Ohio's
3: Kinky Fun Group. Find out more at adventuresinsexuality.org.
2: Music heard on Erotic Awakening,
1: Free by White Knight, Strawberry Jam by Jerry Bradley, and Wanda by 31D1, is provided from the Pod Show Pod Network. More information can be found at music.podshow.com.